Thank you for that. Good morning. I'm Rodney. I think I've met most of you before. If you don't know me, it's all right. <laughs> I doubt it would have changed your life, but uh, I am privileged to, to work with the Blue River Kansas City Baptist Association, and uh, we have 130 churches worshiping today uh, in uh, almost uh, 10 languages, not almost, in 10, and I think we may have added an 11th language, all lifting up the name of Jesus, amen? And so we, we stand united in Christ regardless of our background, our cultural setting, our ethnicity. We are, we are one in Christ for those that believe in his name. So today we do want to lift up the name of Jesus. And uh, I'd like to uh, ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in John chapter 11. Uh, a lot of verses. Don't despair though. We're going to just work through the story that's there about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So I just want to read a few verses at this moment, then we'll pray together and then dive in. In verse 24 of John 11, Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said to him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we lift up your name as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the only name under heaven by which men, women, and children must be saved. So we lift up that saving name of Jesus and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would apply your historical record of Jesus the gospel, the good news that Jesus raises the dead. And he himself rose to new life, the firstborn from the dead, that we might have life if we repent and trust in him. So we ask you to speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we're just going to walk through this, uh, this text in which Jesus uh, goes to Bethany and he raises Lazarus from the dead. But there's so much rich context here that we that we need so let's just start verse 1 of chapter 11 of John and let's see how how this unfolds it says now a man was sick Lazarus from Bethany Bethany's a couple miles just outside of Jerusalem you'll recall that everybody's walking in that day and so at the end of a day you could walk a couple miles and reside in Bethany and then go back into Jerusalem and to the temple or wherever you were going and that's what Jesus was doing it was Staying out in Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary, verse 2, is the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now before we just move on past that, we need to go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is going to give us some context about Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. 
She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman was touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. He said, a creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she with her tears has washed my feet and, and wiped them with her hair. She gave me, you gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the same Mary that is the sister of Martha and the brother of Lazarus. So go back to John chapter 11 with that in mind. Mary, who is a notorious sinner. In the scriptures, in the New Testament, we see this phrase, tax collectors and sinners. It's like the worst category you could be in. If somebody said you were a tax collector, a, a, a traitor to your to your country, to your religion, to your people, and a servant of the hated Romans. If you were a tax collector, you were despised in the Jewish community. And if you were labeled a sinner, it meant such things as those who were openly sinning, whether it was adultery, whether it was uh, being uh, prostituted, whether it was some other kind of outside of the synagogue, uh, publicly known sinning, at such a level that you would receive this label in the community, tax collectors and sinners. So much so that the Pharisee, the, the, the religious legal leader, was just appalled that Jesus would let this kind of woman touch him. Let it be noted today, there's no one, there's no one that is outside the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Christ that will turn to him. Nothing you have ever done, nothing you could ever do is beyond the Lord's great love for you, for me. And by the way, Scripture makes it very clear. She's no worse sinner than I am. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so it's this Mary who was forgiven much, who had this horrible reputation who comes to Jesus in faith and repentance and expresses that clearly in her humility and, and in her anointing of Jesus. 
Well, she loved much and was forgiven. It was that Mary. Verse 2, John 11. The one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. We know from this and other scripture, Jesus loved that family. Loved that family. They had responded in faith and in, and in repentance. And they loved to host Jesus. And they could not get enough of him. He loved that family. Verse 3, so the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death. I'm in John 11, chapter 4, uh, verse 4, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I'm sorry, what? He loves this family incredibly. He has seen them repent and put their trust and faith in him. He has seen them Stick out their neck, if, as it were, is at this time, Jesus is extremely controversial, hated by many. The Jewish leaders are already plotting to kill him, and yet they would host him. They loved him that much. And so when Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick from this family that he has such a special relationship with, he stays where he is two more days. Okay, we've already seen in scriptures, and you can very quickly recall, Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost, that he preached the gospel, repent, and the kingdom of God is among you. Among you. Put your faith in me. He's, he's doing these incredible, miraculous signs. Uh, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, it's the seventh key sign that proves that he's the Messiah that he would give uh, that's recorded in John's gospel and elsewhere. And yet, as much as he loved Lazarus, his greater purpose was that people might believe in him. And so he waits two more days because he knows what he's going to do. Now, the disciples and the others are, are astonished. This sickness will not end in death, verse 4. It's for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it, speaking of himself. So he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Verse 8, Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Look real quickly with me at John chapter 10. Jesus has, in chapter 9, he has opened the eyes of a blind man. And the religious leaders are not rejoicing. They are furious with Jesus. And they bring in the blind man, and they say, you tell us... Uh, Verse 28, uh, verse 27, I already told you, you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to be his, become his disciples too, do you? The blind man that was healed. Now speaking to the uh, religious leaders, they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But this man, we don't even know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man who was healed told him. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. Wow. This man surely knew that he could be in big trouble for that says, um, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of the blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Well, this did not make them happy. They said, you were born entirely in sin, and are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out. 
So then you go on, and Jesus is speaking to the to the Pharisees, and they're very upset with him. And they said, are we too blind? He said, yes, you are. Your sin remains. Chapter 10, Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd. He clearly identifies himself with the Father, that he and the Father are one, that he and Yahweh are one. And in verse 19, a division took place among the Jews because of these words. Many of them saying, he's a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And it says in verse 23, Jesus was walking in the temple complex, series of buildings, and a colonnade, an outer, outer courtyard in the, in the outside, not, not inside the temple itself. The Jews surrounded him. Pay attention to this wording. They didn't come and talk to him. They surrounded him in the temple courtyard there in Solomon's colonnade. And they said, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And he said, I did tell you and you don't believe. The works I do in my father's name testify about me. But you don't believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The Jews picked up rocks to stone him. He was surrounded, and they picked up rocks to stone him and kill him. Jesus replied, I've shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these works are you stoning me for? They said, we're not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself to be equal with God. Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your law I said you were gods? If he called those whom the word of God came to gods and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand the Father is in me and I in the Father. They were trying again to seize him Yet he eluded their grasp. Back to chapter 11. Rabbi, the disciples told him in verse 8, Just now the Jews tried to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus said, verse 9, Aren't there 12 hours in a day, meaning the sunlight? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in them. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well. Jesus said, however, speaking about his death, that they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there, so that you may believe. So Jesus intentionally waits so that he can do this miraculous sign and pour out compassion on his friend, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Then Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Well, let's go with him so that we may die with him. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already, when he arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. He knew this. But the, John's just recording it for our benefit. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, as we noted. 
Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about the loss of their brother. As soon as Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. They're in deep mourning. People have come to mourn with them. Lazarus is dead in the tomb and decay has begun. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Have any of you felt during 2020, COVID and beyond, that if Jesus would have, fill in the blank, we wouldn't be in this mess. If Jesus wanted to, he could get us out of this mess. Perhaps in the middle of COVID, you have felt just the incredible intersection of so many stressful things. Things in your own life, in your own family. COVID-19 stress has seen an incredible spike in difficult mental health issues. Depression, suicide, domestic violence. People are stressed. My brother-in-law lost his job. And as a believer, he found it quite a struggle to stay positive, to keep his faith, because it drug on for six months. And he just got a job last week. And we were all praising God, but there was that point. Lord, you, you could, right? If you believe in Jesus and in his word, you know he could. So why isn't he? Why did he wait two extra days to then travel to be there with Lazarus? He knew that if he had been there, he could have healed Lazarus of his sickness, and he would not have died. But he had a larger purpose. I did not know God's larger purpose for allowing COVID-19 to continue. I do know that whether it's COVID or anything else, in this sin-sick world, he wants our attention. And he wants his church to be revived and his people to be revived and to be focused on him and not trust in anything else. She says, if he had been here, you could have done something. I believe in you. I know you could. But you, since you should say, you let him die. If you'd been here, you could have healed him. Yes, he could have. What does Jesus say? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. She said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies this earthly death, this, this death from being in a sin-cursed world and having your own sinful nature, even if he dies, he will live Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. It doesn't mean that we won't have a physical death. It means we will not have a spiritual death. It means that he will raise us again. We'll have a glorified new body. Amen. Anybody looking forward to a glorified, resurrected new body? I am. I got stuff that's creaking and groaning and not working. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I would like a new body. But what can you imagine a glorified, risen body that can never die? Never needs rest. Never gets tired, sleepy. Never gets sick. Never cries again. 
No more tears. No more death. No more suffering. No more oppression. No more evil. We're living in evil days and we shouldn't be surprised because Scripture told us it was coming. And I will remind you, because I've been blessed to serve many years overseas and been in a lot of places, we have not yet even entered into what it's like for most Christians around the world. So if you get to feeling a little sorry for ourselves, we just need a little perspective. I've had friends overseas say, welcome to the party. You know, you're upset because somebody said something bad about you and your type. We have yet to spill our blood. We have yet to be put in jail. We have yet to be to have serious suffering and persecution. So let us not lose perspective on still how blessed we are. And Jesus said, while it is day, you work. So we do the works that God has called us to do. Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the last day, the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me. It doesn't matter, folk, how many years you've been going to church. It doesn't matter how many generations have called themselves Baptists. None of that matters if you're not born again. We must be born again. If you are one who believes in him, even if you die this physical death in this life, you will live. She said, yes, Lord. You, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who was to come into the world. She said that not knowing what Jesus was about to do. She said that because she and her family had experienced the Lord and his grace and his forgiveness and his truth. And in spite of the fact that there are people at her house that want to kill Jesus, that, are, that don't believe in him, they're there for religious mourning reasons. Even as that is the case, she says, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. Mary is so sick with sorrow. She's so upset that she hasn't even come out to see Jesus yet. Mary, uh, Martha says, Mary, the teacher's here and calling for you. As soon as she heard this, she got up quickly and went out to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village but still in the place where Martha had met him, the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to cry there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Note the, the element of belief. I believe. You are the risen, you are you not yet risen, you are the Son of God, the Messiah that comes to the world. I know you could have healed him, but you weren't here. If you had been here, catch the implication? You could have been here. Jesus, why aren't you doing something? Why didn't you do something about this? She came to Jesus, was fell on his feet. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry or moved in his spirit, deeply moved. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, come and see. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He had such love for this family. He had, he had had that very special encounter. And he had, he, had, he had forgiven Mary of all of her sins. And she had 
He become their personal friends as well as their Lord. Sees them crying. Sees that, uh, that, they, that, that, that he's dead and buried and he, he wept. The Bible says Jesus had compassion. He had compassion on the masses. He had compassion on people. He, he didn't just teach. He also healed. He was one with great compassion. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes have kept this man from dying? They had the same question Mary and Martha did. Then Jesus, angrier than and moved in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Does that sound like any other story you've heard? Don't miss the rich symbolism and facts of this story. It comes to this tomb. Yes, it was a cultural practice. But it, was, it also uh, was, a, was a type, a, 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 fore, a forerunner of what was to come. Jesus said, remove the stone. Meaning the women couldn't move the stone. They had to have some, some men there to help to move the stone. The stone that sealed the grave was not something that, that I could just flip over for you. He said, remove the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, we know from another story, right? She's very practical. She's a very practical, hardworking woman. And she's like, but wait, Lord, he already stinks. It's the fourth day since he died. Decay has already begun. He already smells. He already stinks. It's been four days. Jesus said to her, verse 40, didn't I tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so they may believe that you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Okay. He's a dead man. He stinks from decay. He has been wrapped in their ceremonial burial cloths. He is in a tomb. He was not asleep. He was dead. His body had already begun the process of decay. He stank. Despite the spices that he was ceremonially buried, he was dead. He was stinking. He was not breathing. He was not asleep. It reminds me of an earlier story where Jesus was in a town called Nain and there was a funeral procession and I preached about that here in this church. Now I know y'all memorized all the sermons so you're going to recall exactly what I said at this point. He goes to a town called Nain. There's a, there's a young man, uh, the son of a widow, being brought out on a, on a stretcher. They carried people on, on open stretchers on their shoulders. They still do in the Middle East to this day. If you've ever seen a funeral procession on, on Fox or CNN. And they're carrying this, this young man, the son, the only son of this widow who's already lost her husband. Now she's lost her son. There's great wailing and lamenting and despair because of this tragedy that has befallen the widow and the young man. And Jesus went up and stopped the funeral procession and put his hand on the coffin, the stretcher. And he spoke to the dead man. 
When Jesus speaks to the dead, they rise. When Jesus says at the last day when he comes back, get up, you're going to get up. If you believed in him in this life, Jesus conquered death, he conquered sin, he can forgive anything and anyone. He did it more than once in the New Testament and he's going to do it again and he proved that by raising, rising from the dead himself. So this is the one who says, Lazarus, come out. Now, they had to have thought he was crazy, just like the folks in name did. He's talking to the dead man. We all know he's dead. He's already been prepared for burial. The reason we're here mourning is because he is dead. And we are mourning and we are sad and we are grieving because he is dead and he is gone. But when Jesus speaks, Colossians 3 says the world came into existence. At his word. It was all made by him and for him and holds together in him. The same one at creation that created the universe at his word instantaneously is the same one that spoke to Lazarus. So the author of life, the creator of everything, when he says get up, you can get up. Nobody else can do that. No other faith can do that. Listen, I used to live in Southeast Asia among Buddhists. Buddha is dead. There isn't anybody that thinks Buddha is alive. Now, they may follow his teachings, they may follow his precepts, but I'm telling you, he is dead. And they, they talk about where he was born and where he died and what he did, but he is dead. Muhammad is dead. There is no mythology even anywhere in the world that says Muhammad is alive Buddha is alive. They are dead. Nietzsche, the philosopher, I mentioned this to you before. He was famous for saying God is dead. Bad news for Nietzsche. Nietzsche is very much dead. And Jesus is very much alive. And he is going to come again to judge the living and the dead. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. So this Jesus, when he spoke to Lazarus, guess what happened? He reversed the decay. Let's break that down just a second. He reversed the decay. If you're dead for four days, if somebody doesn't come along and embalm you, if somebody doesn't inject stuff into you to kind of keep you from rotting right in front of everybody's eyes, you're still dead. But without the formaldehyde and the rest of it, 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 it all it does is preserve. Ho Chi Minh is buried in, uh, is in a, is in a, uh, a, a uh, what do they call it? Like a sarcophagus. Yeah, one of those things. It's, uh, it's airtight. You can go see Ho Chi Minh, the, the, the father of modern day uh, communist Vietnam. He's dead as he can be. They preserve the body as much as they can. You can still see the hairs on on his chin. Uh, you can still you can still go through this very militarized area. You can pay your respects to Ho Chi Minh. You can still see the hairs on his beard. He's very, his body is preserved. And it's in this airtight sarcophagus or whatever they call that stuff. He's in, he's in there and people can come by and see. But he's very much dead. Nobody says Ho Chi Minh is alive. He's dead. And he's in that, he's in that special kind of preserved state. He's very much dead. Jesus spoke to Lazarus, come out. And when Jesus spoke, the decay was reversed. Do you remember the story where Jesus is uh, in a house 
and people are coming to him, so many so that they you can't get in the house anymore, and the whole area around the house is is crowded. We know that up to five thousand people at a time and more follow Jesus around. He's in the house. You remember the the four friends? You know why we think there's four friends? It doesn't say so, because it takes four men to carry a, a paralytic on a on a pallet. The dead weight of that body is going to take somebody on a stretcher or a pile. It's going to take a guy on each corner to, to carry that. They carried. They, they wanted to bring their friend to Jesus, right? They couldn't get in the house, so what did they do? In that day and still today, they often have steps on the outside of the house. Steps go up to the roof. It's like a, it's like an extra patio. It's like an extra space for storage or, or for hanging out or for resting or, or putting food, whatever you would want. They went up the outside of the house as they worked their way through. They went up on the roof because they couldn't get in to see Jesus. You remember what they did? They tore a hole in the roof big enough for a stretcher with a, with a paralyzed man on it to be lowered down. And with ropes, they lowered this man down. I can only imagine what in the world's going on. There's a hole in the roof. Stuff's falling on my head like Bill doing construction. There's stuff everywhere. You know, he's, first he tears it up, and then he fixes it. Uh, and uh, and all this junk's coming down uh, from tearing up the roof, and then and then they lower this man in front of Jesus, and Jesus commends them for their faith, and He heals the man in front of him, despite the opposition of the Jews and others that were there. Jesus spoke to that man on that mat, and what did He say? This man's been paralyzed from birth. His muscles are completely atrophied, right? Any medical people here, if you're paralyzed from birth and you've never been standing and walking, you're not going to have any muscle strength or probably hardly any muscles at all. You're going to be atrophied and they're never, he'd never borne, the, his feet and ankles had never borne the weight of his body. He would have been exactly like somebody that's been paralyzed. You know, after a surgery and you're on your back for a few weeks, you're already losing tons of muscle mass. His feet and ankles had never stood, never borne his weight. What happened? Jesus spoke to him and he said what? Get up. He got up and immediately his body was strengthened. His ankles and feet were strong. He had muscular strength such that he did what? He was walking and leaping. You don't leap or walk on paralyzed, atrophied muscles. But when Jesus spoke to him, he was immediately strengthened. His muscles were strong. His ligaments were, were legit. He had the ability to get up and to walk and to leap instantly. When Jesus spoke to Lazarus, he reversed the decay of death. We know this because later Lazarus is sitting around eating with everybody. He's famous now. People came from all over to see him. They came to the dinner that Mary and Martha uh, held that Jesus also came back to later. We see later in John's gospel. We won't take time to go there now. He spoke to Lazarus who was wrapped in all the ceremonial spices and preservatives and the, and the linen cloths. He was totally wrapped up. It was very heavy. Once you were wrapped up in the manner in which they prepared a dead body. And he said to Lazarus, arise. Lazarus, come out. And it says the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth according to custom. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. When Jesus speaks to your situation, 
and you are believing and having faith in him, he may not move at the time you want him to move. Lazarus didn't have to die in the sense that Jesus could have healed him before he died. Jesus knew it, allowed it, and went later. Jesus does not move on our timetable, does he? He doesn't. He has his own timetable. We learn later in, in Scripture, in Peter's epistles, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years are like a day. He's not on our timetable. But he is compassionate, loving, and all-powerful. And we know from Romans 8, 28, do we not, that all things, sickness unto death, paralysis, COVID-19, all things, all things do what? All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now we can take that to the bank. We can, we can plant our flag on that rock, on that foundation, that this Jesus, if we believe in him, he may not work the way we want him to work, he has larger purposes that we cannot know, but he has compassion. He knows our situation and he has a reason that this bug is still out there. There is a sin, sick, fallen, cursed world that we live in. And there is going to be pain and suffering and sickness and death in this world. But do not lose heart. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. So this morning, know that this Jesus that spoke the world into existence, said to Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out. When Jesus says so, we rise. We rise from our situation. We rise from the dead. And you may not rise beyond your situation or from this oppression, but Jesus says those who are faithful to the end will be saved. So let us take encouragement in that this morning, that we worship a risen Lord who even raises the dead. Let's mm -hmm. pray. Would you just take a moment and reflect on what God's Word has shown us this morning? Lord, we know you are who you say you are. We believe. We confess there's part of us at times that doesn't completely believe. Lord, it is said in Scripture, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, we know we have this gospel news that you died in our place, rose again on the third day. You never suffered decay. You conquered sin and death. And you invite anyone to come, it comes to you to eternal life and forgiveness of sin. Lord, we acknowledge that and we lift that up today for anyone that needs to hear that, that's never humbled themselves, repented and turned from their sin and placed their faith and trust in, in your sacrifice, your atoning death, believing in your resurrection. Lord, we say that today that anyone that that might be the case, young or old, would place their faith and trust in you and repent of their sinfulness and cling to you like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. 
And Lord, for those of us that believe in you, we need your encouragement today. We need to be reminded from your word that you, you have conquered sin and death. There's no, there's no virus. There's no trauma. There's no oppression, no difficulty, no suffering that you do not have compassion for. That you will not ultimately work together for our good, for those that love you and call according to your purpose. Well, we cling to that promise. We need your encouragement today. Lord, keep us from lowering our eyes to the difficult circumstances around us and keep our eyes focused on you. Lord, would you do that for us this morning? Lord, I pray that anyone here that needs to profess their faith in you to come forward here and we sing in just a moment to come to these very steps as an altar. I'll pray with them. Lord, we we ask today that anyone that needs reassurance, they would ask you for reassurance today. They would trust you even through these circumstances. Lord, we pray and ask today that anyone here that needs to rededicate their life, they want to be found faithful in you when you return. They want to be able to stand through these trials and these coming tribulations. Lord, I pray that you would cause them to come forward and kneel at this altar if they're able to kneel, but just to be prayed for. And Lord, for any and all, wherever they sit, Lord, would you minister deeply from your Holy Spirit? Lord, Holy Spirit, would you would you come and encourage? Would you come and reassure? Would you come and heal? Would you come and, and give you the assurance and the encouragement of your presence? Lord, we love you. Lift up your name. We express our complete and utter dependence upon you. On this day and every day, we pray it in Jesus' name. As we sing together, would you come if you need to receive Christ? Would you come if you want me to pray with you? Would you come if you need to rededicate your life? It doesn't matter if you kneel or not. We'll, we'll pray. And wherever you are, whatever you need today, the Lord knows you would be here today. And he had a word for you. Do not harden your heart to whatever he is he's saying to you today. Would you come as we stand and sing?